following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So it's, it's good to be able to uh, be with you and to open up God's uh, scriptures this morning and to have the opportunity to be able to reflect together on the Word of God. Um, as I was uh, thinking about today and about what was going on, I was led to a, a particular part of the Scriptures, and it really made me think about um, as a year closes out and as we consider a new year, I think most of us take the opportunity to be able to look back over what has been um, and to sort of consider a bit about what lies ahead and what is there. A new year is a great opportunity to take stock of what has been going on, what's been going great, and perhaps what's been going not quite so great. And it's just an opportunity to be able to do that. And, you know, as a new year begins, it's a time that we can dream about the future, think about what things could be as we move into the year ahead. And as I was thinking about that, I think it's almost like what was going on in the Gospel of Matthew and those closing chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, specifically, uh, if you think about the Gospel of Matthew, it's talking about the, the life of Jesus Christ. It talks about his birth, his life, and finally his death. And if we were to read through the entire book, as chapter 27 of this gospel comes to a close, it's almost like it's at a bit of a low point as far as that's concerned. You know, we've learned about the crucifixion, we've learned about the death, and so basically we close chapter 27 with a tomb with a dead body in it. And that's the way that the, the chapter closes out. So we end up in the particular situation where it seems like this has been... Uh, I guess you would say an unqualified disaster. Uh, the plan that Jesus said he had seems to have failed. And you sit there at the end of this chapter thinking, what is going on? Jesus is dead in the tomb. The disciples at that particular point of time are quite scattered because they didn't exactly know what was taking place. So it's like, well, what is going on as far as that is concerned? And then you pick up the story in chapter 28. And let's just uh, read through the scriptures together. It should be up on the, on the, you can follow through with us. It says, After the Sabbath, at the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers 
and go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on the way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were sleeping. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So as we think about this particular chapter, there's a whole lot of things that are taking place. As I said, it closes at the end of chapter 27 at a super low point. And then all of a sudden in chapter 28, we move into something that is quite different. The storyline changes in chapter 28. Jesus is not in the tomb. Remember 27, he was in the tomb. That was it. Now he is no longer in the tomb. The grave is empty, Jesus is gone. And obviously, as the woman came to the, the tomb at that particular point of time, my hunch is there's a couple of questions in their mind. Well, what has happened to Jesus? Where is he? And secondly, and what does that mean to us? What's going on? Jesus is no longer in the tomb. What is happening there? So you see, chapter 28 is not just the closing of the story about Jesus but rather it's a powerful climax to what is going to come next. You know, the central event of this particular story is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the climax of the redemptive history. All of the things that have been talked about in the scriptures in the Old Testament had finally come to fruition as we see Jesus dying upon that cross, going into the tomb, but more importantly, being raised from the dead and is now living. Jesus' death was not the end. The message is one of new life and new hope. The resurrected Jesus' final act on earth is he gives his disciples something to do. So not only was he resurrected from the dead, but then he also, in effect, says, because I've now raised from the dead, I'm now going to give you guys a job to do. And the task that he gave to the disciples is exactly the same task that we have today. And basically, it's, in some ways, it's a really simple agenda, in other ways, it's a really radical agenda, and it's simply this. Go and make disciples. So if you think about what's going on here, let's look at these in a little bit more detail. So the first 10 verses of this chapter, we learn about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see the two Marys, they head to the tomb, expecting, as I said, to find Jesus dead. But when they arrive, the scene is not what they're expecting. The large stone had been rolled away from the tombstone. There was an angel that was there at the tomb. And Jesus Christ was nowhere to be found. The guards that had been put on guard outside the tomb 
were so scared about what had happened, it talks about the fact that they were simply there, that they were shocked and they were afraid. So think about the picture that's going on there. Totally unexpected as far as these women were concerned. They went to see the grave. They go there, they find an empty grave, they find an angel, and they find these soldiers, normally the brave soldiers, they're terrified. And then what's more, as they head on the journey, as they were told to by the angel, who do they meet? They meet Jesus, the risen Christ. So think about what's going on here. Everything that these women had been expecting was totally transformed at that particular point in time. Nothing that they had expected was what they found there. This Jesus, who they expected to see in the tomb, was now alive. And that they knew that because he was alive, things were going to be different as far as that's concerned. But not only were the women affected as far as that's concerned, but if you look at the next five verses in 11 through 15, there's a bit of a problem that's taking place here. And the problem is for the rulers at that particular time. You see, those leaders, they knew that they had a problem because Jesus Christ was no longer in the grave. So what they did is the soldiers, the chief priests, the the rulers that were there, they conspired together. They said, we will come up with a story that will explain what has happened. In fact, they even paid off the guards to say that this actually didn't really happen. And they came up with a plan in terms of how they're going to argue it. But you'll see there, as it says there in verse 15, that the truth came out. The Jews knew what was actually taking place, and the story did come out. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central historical event in the Christian faith. You know, without the resurrection, there would be no Christianity. The Apostle Paul said, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So he was pretty bold as far as that was concerned. He said that the resurrection was the central focus as far as the Christian message was concerned. For me, I am a Christian because I believe in the resurrection. I am convinced that after dying a violent death on a Roman cross on a Friday afternoon some 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth came back to life and emerged from the tomb on that Sunday morning. You know, I remember before I became a Christian, this was one of the areas that I really struggled with and and I wrestled with what, as far as I was concerned, was the myth of the resurrection. And I read lots of things about the resurrection and whether it happened and things like that. But do you know what? The more that I understood about the resurrection and what was going on, the more I came to realise it wasn't the myth of the resurrection, it was the historical fact of the resurrection. Jesus Christ had been risen from the dead, and because of that fact, things were different for the disciples at the time, but for me some 2,000 years later. And I think it's, un, it's just so clear as far as the early disciples were concerned that they did believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They, they were convinced, and as a result, this changed everything. These disciples that were dispersed and hidden because Jesus was dead all of a sudden, in effect, came to life themselves and that they were transformed in the things that they did. And I think it's important that we remember and understand the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lots and lots of things that I could say as far as that's concerned. I just want to uh, briefly highlight three different things that I think are significant to us as far as the resurrection is concerned. 
So firstly, Jesus' resurrection means that his sacrificial death on the cross was sufficient and therefore our sins can be forgiven. Now, as far as we're concerned as believers, the resurrection is the visible sign that Jesus' sacrifice was acceptable. We even heard about it this morning in terms of um, some of the things in the book of Hebrews around the importance of sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. Paul emphasized that, that in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Then later in verse 17 of that same chapter, it says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still dead in your sins. You see, the resurrection is important. It's a critical thing that we need to understand as believers in Jesus Christ. Paul saw the direct connection between the resurrection and the sufficiency of his death to atone for our sins. When Jesus rose again on the third day, it was proof that our sins had been atoned for. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection means that death is defeated once and for all. Jesus Christ is the firstborn from among the dead. And even though we all know that death is painful and hurtful for us that remain, we are confident that as believers in Christ, that death does not permanently hold us. As Peter proclaimed on the day of Pentecost, God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it is impossible for death to keep a hold on him anymore. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Death lost its grip on Jesus, and because it lost its grip on Jesus, for those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, it transforms us as well. The resurrection means that Jesus was not only defeated death, but that he defeated it for us as well. He died and he rose for all of humanity, and we can enjoy newness of life because of what Jesus Christ did as well. And thirdly, Jesus' resurrection means that we have a radical agenda that we are to live by. Go and make disciples. And it's interesting that out of all of this long gospel that takes place in Matthew and all the things that take place, it's almost like a couple of verses at the very end of that chapter talks about the agenda for us as believers based upon who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. When Jesus came out of the tomb in his physical body, was God's definitive stamp of approval on his redemption project. The resurrection shows us that we matter. And that is why the early Christians looked to the future with confidence, because Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. And it affects the way that we live our lives. A lot of passages talk about that. Just one example would be uh, Ephesians 1, verses 18 through 20. Um, it says... I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realm. So just as one example here we see in, in Ephesians, the fact the same power that was used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is available to us as believers today to live a life that is going to be God-honoring and glorifying to him. So the resurrection not only assures us that God's forgiveness and comfort in our suffering, but it also gives us the ability to be able to live the life that God wants us to live.
we are disciples of Jesus Christ and we can live in such a way. This quote that's up here is quite an interesting one. It says this, The message of the resurrection is that this world matters, that the injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice and love have won. If Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming hearts. Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things and that we will work and plan with all energy of God to implant virtue of Jesus over time all. Take away Easter and Karl Marx was probably right to accuse Christianity of ignoring problems of the material world. Take it away and Freud was probably right to say Christianity is wish fulfillment. Take it away and Nietzsche probably was right to say it was for wimps. The reality is the resurrection changes everything. Because Jesus Christ did die from the, and was raised from the dead, we can enjoy newness of life. It happens, it changes things. So Matthew 28 opens with the account of the resurrection, the life, death, and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it forms the basis of our ministry today. Resurrection is a literal resurrection, and that empowers us to live in a way that God wants us to live. And that's what comes up in those final four verses in this chapter here. Verses 16 to 20, it says this. Now, the fact the resurrection has been established made the implications of this important. So in effect, in Matthew, it's saying that because Jesus Christ has died and been raised from the dead, now you are going to have to go out and do a job that I'm calling you to do. The final section of Matthew 28 helps us to understand our response to the resurrection. Our response is really twofold. It's worship and it's discipleship. And if you look firstly there, we see the response of those that were there to Jesus. Most of them worship. When the disciples went to Galilee to see Jesus, their first response was to worship him. So they understood who Jesus was, they understood what he's done, and the natural response was that they would worship before him. But the, the other interesting thing in that particular passage as well is notice the response of some of the others that were there. Someone said that they doubted as well. And I guess as an aside, I find it quite amazing that you can have people that saw the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. They were able to touch the risen Jesus Christ, but even then some of them still doubted as far as that's concerned. But um, for most of them that was there, their response was that they would worship him, that they were there to be able to worship God. So even though he'd been crucified on the cross, he was now resurrected from the dead, and that they were able to worship Jesus Christ for who he was. And then in verse um, 19 there, we see what we refer to as the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Um, And in this particular passage here, we see... um, on the next slide up there, that there's, um, it's, like in, it's in four different parts there as far as that's concerned. So there's really four different things that take place within the Great Commission. That whole idea of moving out, that idea of, of, of disciple, um, the idea of baptism, and the idea of teaching as well. And if we were to look at this, the, the, main, the second verb there, the disciple one, is actually the key one that's, that's there in this particular passage. So discipleship is really the central focus as far as that's concerned. 
but we see three other verbs that are circling that. So we have, it's almost like discipleship was in the middle, but within that we have the going, we have the teaching, and we have the baptizing as well. So all of the four work together to talk about what we're to be involved in doing. So we are to be involved in this particular task. So the first goal is that we bring people to a point of accepting Jesus Christ. That's the going part of things. We proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That we participate in what we would probably refer to as being evangelism. We go with the message of Jesus Christ. But then the other part of discipleship is involved in either baptism and also teaching them all the things about Jesus Christ. And that's really the package that is going on as far as that's concerned. So making disciples is accompanied by going, and it involves baptism and teaching. And I can remember over the years, I've heard lots of interesting debates about this relationship between evangelism and discipleship. I've heard lots of great um, missionary messages calling us to go overseas with that whole idea of going, and this passage is all about evangelism, and it's all about the fact that we are to go and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we are called to evangelize the nations. And that's true. This, this passage does call us to be those that are, are evangelistic in our task. But it's not just about that. It's also about the other part there, and discipleship, and it's equally as important. You know, we're not just to see people make decisions to follow Christ. We're also to be involved in the task of helping those same people to become mature followers of Jesus Christ. It's almost like the two go together as a package. Evangelism and discipleship work together, and that's what's involved as far as we are concerned as as Christians. Proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, but also helping people move on towards maturity in Jesus Christ. So just when you think about that, a couple of verses, uh, a couple of phrases that I talked about there. Firstly, a disciple. What do we mean by disciple? Just simply, a disciple is a student or an apprentice. They are a follower of Jesus Christ. So disciples in Jesus, they would follow their rabbi, their teacher, and that they would live with him, and they would learn from the rabbi's teachings, and that would be what would take place. So basically, a disciple is a follower, and that's what's involved in that whole task there. So believers in Jesus Christ are also disciples of Jesus Christ. They are students of him in this way. And then related to that, we have what we call this whole thing of discipleship. And really, discipleship is just the process of devoting oneself to a teacher. And obviously, for us, that teacher that we devote ourselves to is Jesus Christ. We're to be involved in that task of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ on a day-to-day basis, becoming more and more like Christ. We are to follow his example and become obedient to what he wants us to do. Discipleship is the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. So when it comes to thinking about um, that whole process of discipleship, it's, it's really one of the things that we're about as a church. Just put down the list of some of the things involved in discipleship. And as I've said there, firstly, uh, discipleship's really the mission of the church. You know, this passage here in uh, the closing verses of Matthew 28 talk about the Great Commission, what we're to be responsible for. As a church, one of the things that we are commissioned to do is to see people become mature disciples, mature followers of Jesus Christ. We are to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, 
but also to see them become mature followers of Jesus Christ as well. Uh, Secondly, I think it's important that uh, discipleship happens in community. One of the things that we do as a church is that we provide lots and lots of opportunities that we can encourage one another and grow together as a community of Jesus Christ and that there are lots of opportunities that we do that. Uh, uh, Thirdly, discipleship is a lifelong process. Um, Much as I would like to say that you could, you never actually arrive in terms of being a complete and fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. It's a process. Uh, I can't give you 10 steps that you have to follow so that you will complete the process. It is something that happens and continues to happen. So no matter how young you may be as a Christian, no matter how old you may be as a Christian, you're still in that process of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's an ongoing process. Uh, Fourthly there, um, it's a non-linear process. Um, Again, we can't say... If you follow these four steps, you will become a mature disciple in Jesus Christ. Because all of us are different. Uh, and that's both one of the, the great things and one of the challenging things, isn't it? We're all different. Um, but the reality is that when it comes to discipleship, there's things that do help us in our discipleship process. Things like church attendance, like reading the scriptures and things like that. But we also know that at times that things get thrown at us that we don't always necessarily like have control of. Some of the suffering that, that we might go through, some of the difficulties and trials that we go through uh, that we don't necessarily like and cannot necessarily plan. These are all part of the things that can be used in that non-linear process of us becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Fifthly, discipleship is intentional. Um, And I guess for all of us, we need to see that we are part of the process. Does God work within us to make us mature disciples? Most definitely. Do we have a responsibility in the task of becoming a a mature disciple? We sure do. And it's the two working together. It's God working within us, but it's also the effort that we put in to do the things that will make us more and more mature as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's why we regularly talk about things about reading the scriptures, about spending time in prayer, about gathering together as, as, uh, as part of the body of Christ, because those are some of the intentional things that we can do to help us become more and more like Jesus Christ. And lastly, the discipleship involves multiplication. If you think about how you ended up here today as a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you were to count back the generations of who it was who trained and equipped you to be the person that you are today, and who it was that equipped them, and this process goes back for some 2,000 years, and the reality is it's about multiplication. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. That's the process that takes place. We are here today because people invested in us as, as followers of Jesus Christ. They taught us, they encouraged us, possibly at times they set us on the right path, and in the same way others did it to them, and before them, and before them. And so this is a, the process that we're involved in discipling multiplication of others. So in terms of some of the things that we do at our own church around discipleship, you know, baptism, talks about baptism in this particular passage here. And for us, baptism is an important part of, of who we are in the life of our church. That's why we regularly have 
times when people can be baptised. That's why we regularly talk about the fact that baptism is important. And if anyone here today is a follower of Jesus Christ that has not been baptised, I would strongly encourage you to consider being baptised. It's part of what was involved in that Great Commission, seeing people baptised as believers in Jesus Christ. Secondly, it talks about the whole idea of teaching. We're a church that loves to learn and we're involved in teaching. It takes place on a Sunday morning. It takes place in our life groups, which meet um, that many of you are part of. It takes place in one-on-one meetings that, that are organised for some people that might be new Christians and other things. that We're involved as far as that's concerned. And we also have a number of other ways that we want to train and equip and teach our people to be mature followers of Jesus Christ. I guess the third thing that we do as, um, as a church in our discipleship process is that we're involved in, in our serving together as well. You know, it's amazing how many people are involved to make a Sunday morning take place. It's amazing how many people are involved in the life of our church throughout the week, that they serve faithfully as disciples of Jesus Christ. We have things that go on that you wouldn't even know about that are amazing as far as our church is concerned. So we are a church that serves. Whether it be on Sunday morning, whether it be during the week, there are so many things that take place. And then fourthly, we are a church that's involved in evangelism as well. We're always looking for ways that we can reach out into our community to be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether it be through our, our, our community ministries that take place with our community trust, whether it be uh, things like Long Story Short that we run, whether it be the opportunities that you as, as individuals have to rub alongside unbelievers in your workplaces, in the school, in the universities, all those sorts of things. We are a church that believes in evangelism as well. You know, the reality is that we are all disciples of Jesus Christ. This next quote up here I think is quite an interesting one because it sort of captures some of these things together. A disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice, a practitioner. Disciples of Jesus are people who do not just profess certain views as their own, but apply their growing understanding of life and the kingdom of heaven to every aspect of their life on earth. And the reality is that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is about knowing some of the truths of Jesus Christ. But it's also about putting those things into practice. And that's why we're always looking for ways that we can see to apply the truths of our faith on a day-to-day basis. We need to learn about who God is and what he's done for us, but we also need to be practitioners of the Christian faith as well. Uh, and we need to be looking at ways that it applies to our lives on a day-to-day basis. Now, if you think about this passage here, Matthew 28, it opens with a dead person in the grave, with the followers all dispersed, not knowing what was taking place. But it finishes with a risen Christ and the followers of Jesus Christ, committed as radical believers to go out there and to transform the world with this great commission. And we are part of that same line, that we continue to do what those disciples did. We are followers of the risen Jesus Christ. The same power that was available to those early disciples is available to us. The same message is there, and that we are able to go out as radical disciples, as radical followers of Jesus Christ, and transform the world through this process of discipleship. So I guess as we do start a new year, I would just encourage you to look at ways that you can be 
faithful in this process of becoming a, a disciple of Jesus Christ? What are some of the things that you could be doing to learn more about who Jesus Christ is? Look at ways that you can be faithful practitioners of some of these things and to be able to go out with a message and to make disciples and see people transformed for the sake of Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are just so reminded of the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we think about the empty tomb, as we think about the risen Saviour, we thank you that, that you have been raised from the dead, Lord. And Father, we thank you that because you have been raised from the dead, that we now can enjoy a new life and that we can be part of that process of making disciples of the nations, Lord. Father, help us to be faithful to that task. Help us to go out as your people, proclaiming your message, making disciples of all the nations. Father, we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.